Welcome to the Audit 15 Fund podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table every 15 days. Today, we're going to be talking about key communication skills with a, commu- with a communication expert. Her name is N. Butera. She is the president of the Whole Person Project, an organizational development consulting firm that enables professionals to do their jobs better. Known for providing practical advice, she's a frequent speaker at industry conferences. She's the author of The Five Tiers of Audit Competency and Say What? Communicate with Tact and Impact. Thank you so much, Anne, for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, John. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So uh, you wrote this book, Say What? Communicate with Tact and Impact, last year. Uh, just uh, came out last October. Yeah. What? What kind of led you to write that book? You know, it's it's a funny thing. It's a book that's been in me for a very, very long time, very long time. As you know, I work mostly with risk professionals, IT professionals, internal auditors, and frequently they are asking me for tips, tips for influencing. Uh, if you read any of the current articles out there. You know, you look at what the IIA is publishing, you look at what Deloitte and some of the, you know, big four are publishing. They're all talking about, we need to get a seat at the table. We need to have our presence as a professional known. We need to be that trusted advisor. And many audit departments, as part of their quality assurance, survey their clients, their internal constituents, and they get feedback. And their feedback sometimes is, you're not communicating so clearly with us. Do do you know what I mean? You know, we don't really get the importance of what you're talking about. We're kind of going along. So I wrote this book to give some practical, time-tested advice to professionals who have technical messages, because let's face it, some of the messages in audit are technical. Some of the messages in IT are technical. Some of the messages in risk are technical. But I wanted to give some very time-tested, practical advice that would help individuals hone their executive presence, give them some strategies for being that trusted advisor, being perceived, viewed as that trusted advisor. I also wanted to give them some tips for running more effective meetings, delivering bad news, uh, and handling pushback. So that was that was really what inspired uh, inspired the book. I saw a need and thought, you know, now's the time to fill it. Yeah, I think that's a need that every single internal audit department, regardless of industry and regardless of location in the world, they need it. So talking about practical tips, and yeah. you mentioned, you know, the executive presence, what are some practical tips that internal auditors can take away from your book uh, in regards to improving their executive presence, you know, their so-called gravitas? Yeah. So, so let's, let's start with me making a statement and I'm going to just say it. A lot of introverts are attracted to analytical professions and audit IT Risk has an analytical component to it. Now, when I talk about introverts, introverts get their energy from themselves. 
Introverts lose energy when they have to deal with other people. Extroverts get their energy from dealing with other people. You know, it's, if they just kind of bounce off other people. So it's not good. It's not bad. It's just, what are you? So when one is an introvert, one doesn't really enjoy being in the spotlight. And now with this virtual work, literally, literally, you're in the spotlight. So when we talk about executive presence, we talk about it on a couple of levels. The one level that most people associate with executive presence is the external, is the physical appearance. Another level, though, are the are the values that you that you present, that you project, not just present, but also project in terms of your messaging. If I come back to the external, that's the popular view of executive presence. Here are a couple of things that people can do to enhance how other people view them. First of all, they need to become aware of virtually where they are sitting in relation to the camera and in relation to light in the room. So for example, if you are seated with your back to a window and that window is getting sun exposure because you have the blinds open, what will happen is no one will be able to see your face because the light from behind you, you're being backlit that will cause your face to be in darkness. So one practical tip is just become aware of where the light is coming from. If the light is coming in from the side of the room that you're in, depending on the time of day and you have the blinds open, you can look like you're a jailbird. You see these stripes you know, <laughs> across a person's face and it detracts from, from the image. It does. It really does. It really does. The, so on a practical note, I've talked about two things to be aware of and not to do. What you do want to do is make sure that you have good lighting behind your camera in front of your face so that you're, you're, um, you're, you're seeing literally people can view you. The other practical thing is to become aware of where are you in relation to your camera angle. Several people have multiple monitors. Well, depending on where your active monitor is, sometimes people are getting a terrific side view of you. You don't even realize it. You know, <laughs> you think you're facing into the camera, but depending on where that camera angle physically is in your office, people might be getting literally a side of you. The, the other thing and this is now you know, one more technique technique I could go on and on. But one other yes. thing is to become mindful of the purpose of your meeting and what are you wearing? So I know we've had business casual and some people with the virtual work have taken business casual to business hoodie. I think it's like, the, you know, the latest, uh, the latest fashion trend in virtual right. Right. But, you know, but if you have to deliver some serious news, let's say you have to talk about a high risk that's not controlled at all, or you have to talk about a key control over over an important risk that's not operating effectively. I, I don't know if if 
people should be looking at you in your favorite sports jersey. I just think it kind of gives a disconnected message. You yes. look very casual, yet your message is very serious. So I'm just going to pause there because uh, those are a couple of just practical things, but it all stems from being other directed and being really sensitized to who am I talking to? What am I talking about? How could they be seeing me? You know, just being open to that. Yeah, absolutely. I like, uh, I like all of your points. Uh, the camera angle, uh, very true. I've I've heard about you know like you should stack your laptop on like books so that <laughs> you know like the angle looks better. Uh, and definitely dressing to not necessarily dressing to impress, but at least you know uh, in line with what the purpose of the meeting is. Yeah, so I think that's a that's a great point. Yeah. Um, you know, by the way, you just said something and you just reminded me. I remember when I first started working, getting great advice from my then VP, who said to me, if you're not sure what to wear, think about who you're going to be meeting with and dress at least as well as they are. You know, whatever you think they're going to wear, that's that's what you should be. You know, that's what you should be wearing. And by the way, there is a real, there's a valid reason for that. And it goes to influencing people like people who are like themselves. So the more you can project common values, common interests, um, the more, the more people will not even realizing it consciously will be more inclined to take your advice. That's a great point. And, you know, just, it's really practical because I had a, I had a meeting last week that that came to mind, you know, I had to dress up a little bit better than <laughs> uh, I usually do on uh, most days. So, but uh, going to, you know, your first, going back to your first answer on, you know, like what uh, led you to write the book, you mentioned uh, one of the things was like, how to deliver bad news to yeah. stakeholders. Um, obviously, you know, that's not new to any internal auditor that we get a lot of pushback and, you know, people object to what we say and that's very common occurrence. So what can we do, you know, as a profession to try to overcome the, that pushback? And, and most importantly, not only to overcome the pushback, but also to get the results that we want from a project. Yeah. So ideally, ideally, we would not get pushback, ideally. And I think I want to start there because when we start an audit, okay, there might be a person or two who says, listen, this is not a good time for this audit. The first of never would be a great time. Can we schedule for the first of never? I'm open that day. So there might be a little pushback, but generally speaking, when we start an audit, when we either send out our announcement uh, notice or we have that exit, uh, that entrance meeting, we don't have any conflict. Okay, we might have uncertainty. We might have uncertainty. Uh, The people you're auditing might be a little skeptical. They might be questioning, you know, why are you coming? And, And they might be too polite to say, why are you coming here? So I think it's important for auditors, especially, or anyone starting an engagement, if you were a consultant starting an an engagement, to start off with 
aligning what you are doing with what they are doing. So it's not that we want the focus to be on the audit objective. We want the focus to be on their business objective and how what we're doing is actually going to help them. So let me just pause to say, in my first book, The Five Tiers of Audit Competency, one of the tiers was audit methodology. And one of the models that I introduced in that book was the model behind the critical linkage. And what I say to the auditors that I coach and I teach Get all of your messages to follow this framework. Always, and I know that's a big word, but I really mean it. Always start with their business objective. So if you are doing an audit of the sales process, you're not going to start with the audit objective. You're going to start with their objective is to sell profitably to this market or their objective is to meet this goal. Do you see where I'm going with it? So absolutely, we're yeah. in alignment. Yes. Secondly, instead of using the word risk and have it be disembodied, talk about what could go wrong and then use the word risk in their process. Okay. So we could have sales that don't stick. We could have unprofitable sales. We could have no sales. That would really be bad. And then lastly, talk about solutions to those problems or controls over those problems. And notice I am intentionally using common language and then linking common language with technical language. And the framework for the critical linkage is business process or major step in their process. Mm -hmm. What could go wrong or risk? Second step. Third step being the solution or the internal control. So now, if I'm at a status meeting, you know, the entrance meeting's over, we, we've started doing our intake, we've started to collect our information. If I have found out that, let's say, there's no governance over this process, or let's say I found out there's no oversight, you know, I've talked to several people and there's no oversight, clearly this is going to point to some problems, quote unquote, problems or bad news. So instead of just leading with, I've got some bad news to tell you, you've got no oversight, which could hit someone as a little disembodied, could hit someone as like, what are you talking about? What do you mean I've got no oversight? Do you see what I'm getting? Automatically, it puts the other person on defense. Right. And when people are on defense, they quickly move to the offense. You know, they go on attack. Right. So instead of presenting that directly, what what I'm suggesting is that the person start with, you know, when we started this, we were focused on the sales objective and your objective and remind them of what the objective was or remind them of the point in the sales process that you're now studying so that their mind now moves to that function. And then say, remember, we were looking at this risk. We were thinking about this potential problem. And we looked at this control, or in this case, sadly, there's no solution in place for this. There's no control in place for this. Do, do you see what I'm getting? So I'm basically introducing layer by layer right. and giving them a chance to catch up. Okay. So that's the prevention part. And I just want to pause. I don't know if you had any comments on that or questions on that before well, I go to dealing. Yeah, I, I think this is so critical. And uh, 
we as auditors usually we just start with the risk you know and so i i think that's a great great point start yeah. with the business objective yeah. and then yeah. go from there and go from there yep. and by the way you just also said something that i really want to underscore i feel very very strongly that auditors any risk professional needs to be so transparent in dealing with the risks. So for example, I, I've worked with auditors that keep the risk rate rating to themselves. You know, so they don't come out and say, we see this risk as a high risk. Do you? They don't say that. They don't say that. They don't look to close, get a when I say close, I mean get agreement from right. the business or get disagreement from the business. So if the business says no, I don't think that that's a high risk. Don't argue, just say why. Why don't you see it as a high risk? By the way, the business might not see it as a high risk because they are thinking residually. They're not thinking inherently before controls. And that's an opportunity to educate. That's an opportunity to have an exchange, you know. And so I would say it's important if you want to avoid the pushback, let's start thinking mindfully about how we're messaging the, the other person, how we're positioning the information. And I think that will cut down on the pushback, you know? Yes, yes. I, I think you're uh, absolutely right that a lot of uh, business owners or, you know, business partners, they think about the risk, the, the residual versus yeah. the inherent risk. Yeah. And sometimes we have to, not sometimes, a lot of times we have to explain that, do a better job of explaining that. Yeah. And, so. and by the way, if you forget and you do, you know, sometimes we can get so close to our work. We are living with our work. We're living in the details because audits get to be very mired in details at certain points. We might forget to use the critical linkage. But the minute you see that that other person is now pushing back, what do you mean I've got no governance? What do you mean this control is not working? I think that's the cue to apologize and dial it back and start again. You start with the, consciously start with the critical linkage. Let's face it, we will never know, never is a big word, but I mean it. We will never know as much as they know about their business. We won't. Even if we worked in the area, the minute we're out of that area for like six months, come on, they've made changes. Yep. And I think we have to be mindful and respectful of that, you know? Yeah. So, okay. So let's say an internal auditor does what you're uh, proposing that we should do. And I think that's a great idea. Go with the business objective, cover the risk. What are the solutions, the controls? And then obviously, you know, we get to the report, uh, it gets published, it gets visibility, people are implementing changes, but then, you know, internal audit doesn't come back for a while. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that change is not sustainable. So how can you create a culture or a process in which that, change is sustainable, that behavioral uh, change that's needed yeah. is sustainable. So many thoughts are going through my mind. Uh, one thought is, why do people change? People change when they realize the cost of staying where they are is more expensive than the cost of changing. Think about that. So if you're presenting 
an opportunity to me. And I realize that that opportunity is going to be less costly. And when I say costly, I don't just mean dollars. Uh, it could be aggravation. It could be effort. Uh, it could be giving me something that I want more of. It might be recognition. It might be time off. Uh, it might be less worry. If I realize the truth in what you're telling me, then I should want to change. What's troubling to me, and I have to, I have to tell you this, what's troubling to me is something that I heard you say, and the change is not sustainable. So if the change is not sustainable, sorry, I have to do root cause analysis. It's an occupational hazard, you know? Right, Why right. is the change not sustainable? Is it because the control design is too convoluted to begin with? Is it because it's still manual and it really should be automated? In some way, maybe we need robotics. You see where, where I'm going with this? Yes, yes. I would say if what you described is what's happening, that, that there was change and then over time people reverted, then I would say, let's, let's look at that. Maybe that corrective action was not scalable. Maybe that corrective action was not sustainable in the first place position, maybe that corrective action was not targeted at the root cause of the either control gap, design flaw, or execution error. Yeah, I I mean, you know, <laughs> just think, thinking about like all the recommendations that we have going back, how many are actually uh, maybe not only implemented, but kept by the business. So that's, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, some of that, I think, is because of what we were talking about earlier. The business never really was invested in believing that that risk was real or that that risk was high or that that risk really needed to be addressed. It was kind of like, I'm beaten down, audits here. I'm just going to say, yes, I'll do whatever they tell me to do, check in the box. And then when there's another breakdown, you know, maybe it's a year later or two years later, they'll just say, well, we did what audit said to do. You know, we were just, you know, that's what audit wanted. Uh, and parenthetically, for our clients who are in the regulated industries, I'm thinking specifically about banking, mm -hmm. that kind of conversation is what causes the regulators to claim that internal audit has lost its objectivity and it's really directing the business. So I do think that there are some strategic ramifications for what we're talking about. It's not just, it's nice to be nice. I think that there are some strategic governance ramifications. Yeah. So it kind of, it kind of leads me to a follow-up question there. Okay. So let's say they implemented, but you know, they like decided, Oh, this is not, we can't keep this. And because internal audit didn't really do it, a root cause analysis of, you know, what was a, the, the better control for that area uh, for internal audit purposes, what would be, you know, how can we decide, okay, let's just let this go. Okay. We're not, we're going to accept it and move on. Like how, how do you come to that conclusion of, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to accept the risk here and yeah. just move on? So I see the risk acceptance piece as squarely being management's responsibility. I think that as an internal audit shop, we have a responsibility to have a cogent, logical risk assessment process, including criteria that, that, can stand up to the test of scrutiny and conversation. 
For example, I have said to many auditors, there is no way on God's green earth that you can have an issue that's rated higher than the inherent risk. It's illogical. It is illogical. Uh, you know, if you have a low inherent risk, how do you get a high issue out of that? I don't understand that. <laughs> it makes no sense. Right. So the the risk, if we move the risk discussion, first of all, initially, it should be had, in my view, when we're starting to think about what's going on in the company, what's going on strategically in the company, how is that affecting the audit universe? You know, that that's the that's that that conversation. But at the point of audit execution, all the information we know about the entity under review needs to be brought current. What's going on now? I think the scoping decision is hugely important. If it's an area that you look at over and over and over again, why are we looking at it the same way over and over and over again? I mean, this goes to adding value. This goes to how are we going to show that we're contributing something? How are we going to demonstrate our business acumen? How are we going to demonstrate that we are a business partner and we've learned something? I'm talking specifically about the areas we audit over and over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I think some people think that internal auditors are trained not to think because they just copy what was done from last year. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, Sally and Jelly. Yeah, you know, same as last year, just That's exactly right. like last year. Yeah, and that is so old school. That is, is really so old school. It is. Well, I really appreciate your time uh, today, Anne. Uh, this was a really fun conversation. Uh, for people who are interested in connecting with you and learning, learning about you know the services that you offer, what's the best way for them to contact you? Well, if they like what they've heard and they'd like more articles or they'd like to see some videos, I would suggest that they go out to the website and the website's under my name. It's W-H-O-L-E personproject.com, wholepersonproject.com. If they have a question that they want me to answer, I would just say email me. And my email address is A-M-B, uh, A as in Apple, M as in Michael, B as in boy, at wholepersonproject.com. And again, that's whole with a W-H-O-L-E, personproject.com.